Okay, so since now we're into the next week's um, uh, reading assignment, I'm going to call this uh, Come Follow Me Week 50, Part A, but we're going to start on Chapter 7. Chapter 6 is back in the previous, because it kind of goes together. All right, Chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on earth or sea or against any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to damage the earth and sea, saying, Do not damage the earth or sea or the trees until we have marked the servants of our God with a seal in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed out of every tribe of the people of Israel. Okay. So, chapter, or uh, DNC 77 says these, that these angels are angels sent forth from God, to whom is given power over the four parts of the earth to save life or destroy. They are they who have the everlasting gospel to commit to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, having power to shut up the heavens, to seal up unto life, or to cast down to the regions of darkness. Okay? And, uh, and the angel with the seal of the living God, a, a priest, says, uh, you know, hang on, not quite yet. Um, you know, in, um, in my view, that could, um, that could very well be Joseph Smith, you know, um, saying, hold, holding back the destruction, holding back the destruction until we've sealed everyone. Well, there's overtones not just of um, being sealed in the sense of marked with the, uh, with the anointing um, of priesthood, covenant uh, anointing, um, but also of sealing uh, in the temples. So if Joseph Smith is this angel, this messenger with the seal uh, you know, of the living God on him, then, then, uh, then the next part matches. If you will receive it, this is Elias, which has come to gather together the tribes of Israel and to restore all things. See, this is this, uh, Joseph never said this was him, and he probably would never have, but, uh, but that's kind of where I, where I put that figure anyway. Okay, so there's 144,000. They're high priests out of every nation. This is, 76 says this as well. Now, um, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, from the tribe of Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, 12,000 sealed. Now, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong. And you didn't get it as I was racing through it like that. But if you read it and you were thinking, okay, let's count off the 12 tribes of Israel. Guess what? There's someone missing. Nobody from the tribe of Dan was worthy to be sealed? Really? And and Joseph gets a triple portion because there's Manasseh in there and there's also Joseph, which is also Joseph and Ephraim, right? Well, why is it written this way? I, I, I have no idea. I have found no logical explanation except that there might have been an error in the transcription. You know, people say, oh, well, Dan did this. You know what, Dan, the tribe of Dan, the people of the tribe of Dan didn't do anything worse than any of the others. I mean, really. Uh, That's not an explanation in my view. I I, I think probably this is a scribal error. That's what I think. Well, uh, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white. And we've seen these people before, right? We saw this already, this, this, colossus, this colossal group, right? With palm branches in their hand. 
verse 10, they cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. Okay, so salvation. Uh, Yasha is to save. Yeshua means Yahweh saves, right? Uh, so salvation belongs to our God. While you're holding palm leaves, palm branches, what's this? Well, this is Rosh Hashanah, right? This is uh, Rosh Hashanah, the palm branches and, and calling out save now, right? Um, so verse 11. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped, singing. Here we go, singing again. Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can, can you see this being dramatized with this chorus of 24? Right? It's just like in, in typical Greek fashion. This was the movies back then, uh, was going to a Greek play. And even if you went to a movie in the, in the, in the church building, you kind of expected it to be this, this format, just like the way we, we make, um, the church makes films in, in, the, in the format that people expect to see them in our, in our culture. Right? But, but more importantly here, and I think we see this every time, the, the account goes to, it makes it very explicit that this is not just standing in front in a, in a throne room, everyone's kind of out in the, in the front facing. No, this is surrounding. This is surrounding uh, the throne. So it's a circle. It's a circle, actually. This is a prayer circle, right? Um, well, in, in the temple, we have um, an earthly prayer circle modeled after the way the ancients saw um, the heavenly beings surrounding the throne of God, the way we surround the altar. Uh, and because God's throne was the highest, holiest altar, right? Um, so so it's, it's, this, uh, it's this modeling. Okay. Well, next is going to be testing. Uh, just like we do in the temple, isn't there? Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, this is a combination of Isaiah, Isaiah's promise and of Psalm 23, um, being led, um, led to the waters of life. Where does that happen? Where do, they, where do the waters of life issue from? Well, from the, from the throne of God, from the tree of life, which are co-located. Um, in, in some ancient images, you know, the throne is within the tree. And then, of course, the waters issue out from there. So, so they'll be led there um, at, at the time when there's no more suffering. Right? Chapter 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Well, why would there be silence? Number one, this was, a, this was mandatory. There was mandatory silence while the incense was being offered. And we're going to see that, that, that this is going to happen here in a second. Uh, well, um, so John the Baptist's dad was offering in, incense, and the people were outside in silence, waiting, praying, right? And then, you know, waiting an extra long time. <laughs> so it's that, it's that sort of thing. 
um, verse 2, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets uh, were given to them. Trumpets are just going to say, listen, listen up. Uh, it's how you give commands in war. It's to call people's attention, um, to call people to assemble, and things like this is what trumpets are for. Um, but but they're not, they're not going to uh, sound the trumpets. They just have the trumpets. Before that happens, we get to verse 3. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, this is fascinating because, uh, well, this is, the, this is like the Day of Atonement uh, where they actually bring the incense into the, uh, to the Holy of Holies and make a big cloud of smoke over the holy of, uh, over the uh, the throne of God, the mercy seat, so that they don't die. This is what uh, this is what the Lord told Moses. Uh, don't don't just have Aaron and his sons come in there anytime willy nilly. Uh, and when they do come in, when it's appointed, uh, make sure they make a big old cloud of incense, or they will die. Because uh, why? Because the cloud of incense, the, that that uh, cloud of glory, is what protects you from the lethal presence of God. Uh, this is this is what comes out in uh, in in the book of Moses, right? Uh, where where uh, Moses says, "Well, yeah, of course I would have died, uh, but I was able to withstand it because God's glory was on me." And then when Satan comes, he's like, "Hey, uh, I can stand here and talk to you, and there's no glory on me, so there's a big difference. I can tell the difference between you and him." Right? So that's what this that's what the incense is uh, is for. But but why why um. Why does the smoke of the incense rise before God from the hand of the angel? Why the hand? Well, because incense spoons that you offered incense were, were called hands. And in fact, they were often in the shape of a hand or engraved with a hand. Um, in fact, it was a hand in the shape of a cup, a cupping shape, right? Malayad is to fill the hand specifically with incense, um, you know, to, to consecrate the sons of Aaron, Aaron, Aaron and his sons, uh, what what happened? Well, they held out their hand in a cupped shape, the shape of an incense spoon, or you know, uh, the, the thing that was to receive the offering of incense, and then they had incense put into their hand, so that they were now. This, this is the way they consecrate. This is the word for consecrate. Consecrate, consecrate Aaron and his sons as a priest. Well, that means fill their hand, fill their cupped hand. With incense, right? That's that's what this means in the law of Moses. So the angel's there holding the incense in his hand because they can do that. <laughs> we have to have, you know, kind of a gold spoon or a bronze spoon, right, to do that. But the angel can hold it in his hand. And this, this is consecration. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. All right, where do we stand here now? The contract, the covenant or plan, the ketubah, has been opened. And by the way, you have to get all seven seals off before anything can really be read or enacted, right? You have to unlock all the seven seals. You can't open the thing. Uh, now, yeah, Joseph Smith may have seen this a little differently. He, he saw the seals as eras or thousand-year periods of the Earth's existence. And, and, and it seems like, I can't be sure about this, but it seems like maybe he was seeing these happen as they went. Um, you know, 
and and then the seven trumpet blasts were the preparing and finishing of his work in the beginning of the seventh thousand years, the preparing of the way before the time of his coming. That's from 77. Now, I'm going to suggest, though, that, that these are the, the fall of the creation, uh, the, the fall, uh, or some scholars refer to it as a decreation. There, there's different ways of seeing this, and, you know, so, so think, go with me on this for a bit and see, uh, see if you think that this is a decreation or a fall. Starting on verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were hurled to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, I think, uh, usefully, some scholars suggest that the actual agents of these destructions are humanity, right? Why? Well, because the ancients knew all about deforestation, right? Uh, to smelt a hundred talents of silver, for example, you had to burn 20 square miles of forest. It takes that much heat energy, right? Verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Early Christians thought that this was Vesuvius in retribution for the persecutions that Rome had heaped on the early Christians. Eh, who knows? Verse 9. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is wormwood. This is absinthia. It's a bitter, it's a bitter herb. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. And, and this is another reason for thinking that this section is meant to represent the fall, because we're again for the you know multiple times we're recapping the war in heaven here, fallen angels that that then precipitate the fall of humanity, and especially if you're looking at First Enoch, you see that it's the fallen angels that come and corrupt humankind and and get the destruction rolling here. Um, verse 12. The fourth trumpet blew his angel, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars. See, here we have the, the stars falling, you know. Uh, well, and, and so, the, so the sun and the moon and the stars are all being darkened by about 30%, so the, so the world is a gloomier place than it would have otherwise been, right? Uh, and a third of the day was a third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. That's the rest of verse twelve. Verse thirteen. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid heaven. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth! At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Now, if you're following along in King James, you'll see that it says angel, but newer translations based on better manuscripts say eagle. Though, frankly, I'm not sure that it makes a lick of difference here, right? It's, it's, uh, it's still a heavenly message, right? All right, chapter 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. This is first Enoch imagery, right? Verse 2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened and the smoke from, with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given authority like the authority of scorpions of the earth. 
They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green growth or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And the agony suffered was like that caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, but not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Okay. Let's take this chunk, this little vignette. Um, this could be, I suspect this is a good angel, not an evil angel. Uh, but, you know, on the side of it being an evil angel is that it falls. Others others say they, they descend, you know, like descending with a purpose versus falling. So I'm not sure whether this is a good or a, or a demonic angel. Um, but whatever it is, it's unleashing uh, these these falling fallen angels. Again, this is this is first Enoch imagery. They're held in chains in that deepest pit until the time of the judgment. Well, here evil spirits, the evil spirits are on. Uh, there are in uh, the earth. They're they're having their effects, right? But but there are bounds in a sense. There are chains in a sense. They have restricted ability to hurt and destroy. That's what we're seeing here. So, okay, you can only do so much to these people. Sting them like a, like a scorpion. That's why they look like scorpions is because they're going to sting like a scorpion, right? Um, but, but they can't kill the people. They just hurt them. And who are, who's, hurt the, who's hurt the most? Well, those that are not on the covenant path, right? Uh, and those that are not sealed with Christ's sign. Um, so, so in a way, to me, this portrays the natural world, the natural fallen state. Um, natural law is taking its toll on those that don't have a higher way of, of doing it. Um, and, 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 and that law, that natural law by which people are, you know, stung by the, by the demons and hurt by the demons, well, this is the way Paul framed it, right? Remember, remember when he talked about the stoichion, the, the primal principles that he also equated with, with the demons, right? In his discussions of natural law. Well, what's the natural result of, of our natural behavior? Well, it's all this misery, right? right? And he saw that as mediated by these stoichion, these demons. Um, and by the way, this we didn't I didn't say this before, I don't think. Um, who 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 doesn't? Who who doesn't get hurt? Uh, it's the people that are sealed. We should mention this if we haven't said this before. Uh, this is imagery from Ezekiel, where where an angel, and I think it's the Savior, because uh, he's got a rainbow and all the other accoutrements that the Savior shows up with in Ezekiel's visions, comes and he marks in the forehead those that weep and sigh for Jerusalem, the righteous, the people that are holding on to their covenants. He marks them in the forehead. How? Well, he marks them with a tau, with a, with a cyber-leaning cross. This is the way that the high priests were anointed and anointed before they went to, to serve um, in the Holy of Holies. Then an anointing that stood for the, stood for the name of Christ uh, on them. So when we talk about anointing in their forehead, being sealed in their forehead, it's that oil mark that was made on the high priest um, so that he could serve uh, in, in the Holy of Holies. Right. This seems going to be true when we talk about the opposite, the counterfeit sign. It's going to be... Uh, in the forehead most of the time. So, uh, verse 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Uh, okay, so they have some dominion, right, in, in the earth, right? Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. Uh, 
They had scales like iron breastplates. The noise in their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails like scorpions with stingers, and in their tails is their power to harm people for five months. Meaning, not permanently, right? What they do to us here is not final. Okay, it's torture, but it's, but it's not final. They're crowns, why? Because they're emissaries of the, of the God of this world. Um, verse 11, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, um, destruction, right? And this is, um, well, it's often personified like Hades or Sheol, right? Uh, carrying on with the, with the text. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon, destroyer. Uh, so it's the same thing, right? It's a reminder that, um, that this text of Revelation is speaking to both Greek and Jew, right? He has to say it in, a, in Greek so that the Gentiles know what he's talking about, not just Abaddon, but Apollyon, destruction. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. There are still two woes to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the horns of a golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released, who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of humankind. Okay, horns of the altar. What are horns? We've said they are power. It can be uh, a powerful earthly or heavenly being, right? Now the, these, so the voice comes out from there. The angels are holding back uh, they're holding back the, the river Euphrates. Now, what does that mean? Well, um, Isaiah, when he had prophesied to King Ahaz, uh, you know, that, that he was going to be overrun, <laughs> uh, he used the Euphrates as a, a flooding, the flooding waters of the Euphrates as a, as a metaphor for the waters of chaos, the Tahom, the waters of chaos that existed before creation uh, could, could be accomplished. It had to be held back with a, with a firmament, right? A, a firm thing, a strong thing to hold back the waters above and, and beneath, right? Well, in the flood, these waters come dashing back in from above and from beneath, right? And this is this is the this is the image that's being invoked here. The river Euphrates is going to overflood and kill uh, a third of the of the people. This is the waters of chaos, the Tahom, okay? But immediately. This, these chaos waters are equated with warfare. This is verse 16. The number of the troops of cavalry was 200 million. I heard their number. And this was how I saw the horses in my vision. The riders wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of humankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of the horses' mouths, uh, which is, you know, fascinating to think that it's, you know, it's not just the human, but it's all the destructive elements, but especially associated with, um, with warfare. By the fire and smoke of sulfur coming out of the horses' mouths, verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents with heads, and with them they inflict harm. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons or idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or the sorceries or their prostitution or their thefts. So 
All these miseries come and people don't repent. Ain't it the truth? Um, and, you know, I, I don't really know if we're talking about there where a third of the hosts of heaven are killed, if that's still talking about the fallen third of heaven. But I think that it might be, or it may, I might be layered symbolism here. But I still think it's meant to represent the fall in as much as that we have, a, that we're living in a fallen world and, and the fall is real to each of us, right? There's no reason that the relations can't represent the fall and simultaneously the fallen world because this is the way that we experience it. Each of us is Adam and Eve, right? Um, if, if we're to believe the, the temple drama, uh, so that there's an ongoing fall in one sense. Um, we, we, each of us experiences the, the pre-mortal life and the fall passing from innocence uh, and the pre-mortal life into the fallen world, if you take my meaning there. And we'll, we'll pick up with chapter 10 in a moment. <laughs> 